This is the second part, part two of the merging of the Heart Sutra with the Four Foundations. <clears throat> and um, it, it just touches the flavor of what I'm trying to do. Uh, the important point, if it resonates with you, for you to really uh, f- flesh out the details that satisfy the direction that uh, and inspiration and curiosity that you have about this. These, um, I'm not. When you go to, uh, when you see a painting for the first time, you, you, it's your interpretation that's the correct one. There isn't an artist interpretation that's c- more correct than your interpretation. And so, as we begin to look new upon these sutras because they're rising together, we're going to have new interpretations of them. For you to say. I'm discarding that one because that doesn't come in the commentaries of the 2,500 years of history. Well, you can do that, but you're throwing away a potential connection that we have going that could go forward and move us forward as a as a sangha, as a sangha. So, what the important thing there's a there's a kind of way that meditation and the journey forward makes sense to you, spiritual sense. Uh, and it's it's often because it resonates deeply with our heart and yearning, and you know what you're hearing is a way forward. Is, is there's a nod in you, a silent nod in you that moves you forward. So don't forget that nod. And um, I just, if this makes sense, which it certainly did to me and to many people who have read it, you know, I, I provide a much more detailed description of the four foundations in this way in in the book uh, Touching the Infinite. So we, we so want we, a lot of it is based on self-doubt. Why should I believe him when the 2,500 years people have been saying this? I'm going to go that way. Well, don't see what it says to you. <laughs> let you guide guide yourself. Guide yourself. Don't let commentary commentarians guide you okay so we've established in the first foundation of the last talk that the first foundation was to establish a contact a ground of body and at the same time dissolve that body through the lack of infusion of words and uh, and knowledge about it let it disappear in front of our eyes. And it's, it's tempting to say, well, the reason it's disappearing is because I'm being quiet. <laughs> you can look at it as an artificial disappearance because you're being quiet, or you could look at it as it's disappearing because of the quiet, and it's, that's its true nature, not the words I invest in it is its true nature. So you have to work around that perspective to be able to see that silence is the moves us towards the essential the essential nature of being words do not do that i mean even though we invest endlessly in words it really just keeps us cradled within our conditioned reference to things and what we're doing here is trying to step out of conditioning 
that which occurs in time out of habit. Okay, so that's why believe in silence. Believe in silence. Words don't work. Believe in silence. The path forward is deeper and deeper silence, stillness within us. So the second foundation, the first foundation was making, seeing that something in essence is nothing. The second foundation says that out of nothing, there grows something. So it reverses the process. It's the formlessness is form and form is formlessness. It's showing both sides of the heart sutra. So how does that work? Well, it's The main focus is on feelings, vedna, the attraction or repulsion or neutrality that any object holds. That calls forth in the mind my remembrance and knowledge. The sense of a feeling, the volitional and conditioned feeling within me that has been associated with a particular object is called forth when that object comes into appearance. And its recognition forms around my attraction towards it or my repulsion towards it. And that establishes the sense of me and the object. But what is a, fe- a feeling is, is just a volitional conditioning that we've had reference to it. And here's the important point. The feeling is not in the object itself. The feeling is conditioned in me in response to the object. So when I'm moving towards an object, I'm really moving towards my mind because my mind is the thing that has the feeling about it. And then, of course, it proliferates. The feeling proliferates in terms of a whole history with it and a becoming and all of that, which I'm not going into, which is dependent origination, which you can go into independently. But I then decide I need to chase it. I don't have it. Or I wouldn't have it. I wouldn't want it if I didn't have. If I had it, I wouldn't want it. The fact that I don't have it, which means it's not now, is the reason that it arises out of my feelings for it. And then, because I have to pursue it, I have to create a place, a way to get from now to then. So I create time. I create the future that needs to be in place for me to travel the distance in order to procure the attraction I have for it that its derivation is in myself. Do you get that? We are chasing our own tail. (laughs) This is an important point. And you think, okay, well, that makes sense. But that's not how I feel when I see ice cream. That's exactly what happens when you see ice cream (laughs) or whatever your specialty is. Now let's look look more closely at what's going on here because it's really interesting. I like to think of the still mind as the undivided mind, the mind that's not fractured against itself. And the divided mind as the mind that pits 
the world of objects against what it wants inside. So the fracturing comes from taking the part of the mind that wants something, projecting it out into the world, and then pursuing that aspect of mind. In order to pursue it without driving itself crazy, knowing it's chasing its own tail, it has to put distance between it and act as if there's somebody who needs it. (laughs) This is a smoke and mirrors performance, a magician's trick we were masters at. It's really amazing. So the first thing we recognize is that the sense of I doesn't have a mind. I, we think, I have a mind. We place ourselves as separate from the mind. I own the mind. I let the, I hear it. And I think, okay, so what's the reasonable judgment given all that thinking? I'll do this. And so we place ourselves as being separate from mind. We do that automatically. That's how the I subsists, is that it's outside the mind. It places itself outside the mind. And because it places itself outside the mind, it's the most devious and ignorant facet of ourself. Because we don't bring any awareness in. We don't even want to see it. And therefore, there's a whole line of defenses we have when reality breaks down and not and can't become the reality I want. We have to defend the eye from the tragedy that it feels we're, we're going to, that's going to befall us. And so we don't even look at it then when the world is falling apart like today. It's really interesting. So I, was, I remember right where I was. It's one of those moments of insight. I was in a rocker. And I said, wait a second. <laughs> the eye is the mind. The eye is of the mind. It's a mental process, not separate from it. It's not something that has, holds the mind as an owner of it. It is the mind. Now you'd think that because I've been practicing for years at that point, that that would have been obvious. Is it obvious in you? Do you keep playing the the game of cat and mouse? Where you can watch your mind, but you're back there watching what you're seeing as the eye that's separate from what it is that you're seeing? Because if you're playing that game, you're not bringing the mind, which is part of what you should be seeing, into the seeing. You following this? A little? Nods help. Okay, good. (laughs) So now you, you, now when you realize that, and it needs to be realized, not just, oh, that sounds interesting, then go on and pretend like you're outside the mind. You really want to turn towards it. You want to include it as a facet of mind. The control center, you know, it's, it's, like, uh, it's like it has absolute control, but it's, it's out of control because it has no awareness of it. There's no awareness around it. So it's completely out of control, and whatever it does is just seen as being the established fact of things. So now you get, and this is huge, because you see that it's the 
pivotal point of dharma, the sense of self. It's not some, well, there's a Nietzsche, I'll do that a little bit, and I'll do a Nata, well, yeah, a little bit, and then I'll do Nietzsche, Dukkha, Dukkha. No, this is pivotal. This is central. You don't do this, you don't get through. Because it blocks everything. Everything. Door shut. Safe, closed, dial turned. You're locked out. You've got to do this to move forward. That's strong. I don't usually speak like that. Well, I do usually speak like that. (laughs) Okay. So now... I realize that as long as I stand outside the mind, the mind is fractured. Because it's not whole. I'm not including myself. So it's forever going to be running after events based on feeling tones. Forever. And you can, you can, you know, you can trick it. You can do all your Dharma things. But as long as you're in place, your ignorance is in place, and you are going to fracture the mind. The mind is not going to be unified. I, I, I wish that our tradition would make more of a statement about anatta rather than just one of the factors of the, one of the characteristics of existence that kind of glossed over. It needs to be central in our practice because it's central in life. It's central to our self-definition. What happens when you start including the mind as a process in it. Then, this is where the trickiness comes in, is that we think we're the one that's seeing the mind. And so how do I see the seer, since I am part of the mind, how does the seeing see the seer, which has, up until this point, been the person who sees? See, it gets all confusing in there when you turn it back on what meditation is. And you go, okay, so I have to have faith here that seeing sees itself. And I have to be willing to see me in the process of me trying to see. I'm trying to say that as clearly as I can. I hope you... So when you're really when you really are on top of that, you get as subtle as the sounds of you are, and it's very quiet. But they're just sounds. You are not a thing. You are a sound. You are a sound. <laughs> a thought believed. You're not a thing. So it's not like you have to maneuver yourself out of the picture to, in order for seeing to see. You just have to be willing to be seen as a sound, as a thought, as an emotion, as a mental process. Because you see that you are a mental process and not standing outside having the experience of mind. Now, the something of you can become the nothing the formless, the essence, the essence.
It's right in our literature. Buddhists. It's right there. So the mind then, when seeing is seeing, and not me seeing, becomes unified. Because there's no more more division between the division created by a wanting to be the seer. And the fact is, it comes together as no mind. Stillness does not have a mind. Mind only can know itself through its activity. No activity, no inward sense of oneself. Inward and outward. No, I'm back in here and what everybody else is in front of me and all the things. No, that's quieted. The division is quieted. There's no inward process going on. There's just this what's arising. And the sense of this is also arising with everything else. That's the undivided mind is no mind. No mind. You'll hear it somewhere in some of the Dharma things, traditions. But to experience it is like, well, it doesn't take you doesn't take your existence away, okay? Don't be afraid of that. It doesn't take your existence away. Existence, even formed existence. Because in this realm of consciousness, we are a formed existence. But it doesn't fool you either. It doesn't fool you. In order to open a window, you need to know what a window is and you need to have that knowledge and you need to open the window. So it's functional. It's a functional sense of self. Doesn't doesn't blur the picture. It doesn't f- create a reality in and of itself. You have to take care of your formed entity. So in that sense, that's not lost. In that sense, In another sense, it's seen without identification as a process that's just occurring. Without dispute. And within formed existence, there's a lot to learn. You step on people's toes, people, your voice is a certain way, you get feedback, you say, I don't need that, it's all empty. No, you need that. As a formed entity, you need to listen to what people are telling you about what you just did. So the, the learning is forever. And it doesn't, you know, people keep thinking it stings when you have, well, when you're a person and the only f- form of reference you have is your mind and you have a lot of defenses against hearing feedback. But when you're just, you know, when you realize that that formed reality is a formed reality, then you want to do it. You want to hear it and you want to move forward. And, and your sense is on improving, but it doesn't hit some psychological deep issue in you of, oh, how terrible a person I am. Okay.
we go to the third foundation. Third foundation. I love third foundation. I just think is a blessed because okay, first foundation, something becomes nothing. Second foundation, nothing becomes something. Third foundation is is the meditative awareness of both of those occurring. It's so beautiful to see. And, and it's so, in my mind, can be so limited in the commentary way in which it's spoken about. The Buddha says, discern when you are angry, discern when you're not angry. Discern when you're anxious. Discern when you're not anxious. Discern when you're upset. The list goes on. It's endless. He's, he, he could have gone three and then dot, 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 or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right? But unfortunately, he didn't. So, so some people think just those things need to be discerned. But he's saying the whole mind needs to be discerned, and its opposite needs to be discerned. Now, why would he say discerning means seeing, okay? Discerning means seeing. So don't think it means me writing it down and getting the writing about it. It's just seeing, okay? Whatever is occurring in the mind needs to be seen or its opposite needs to be seen, but it's not an opposite. It's just another occurrence. So there's the seeing, And then there is the mind that contains you within it is being seen. And you, the sense of... Okay, so this is where the language gets tricky. The undivided mind, that is the seeing mind, does not take sides against its what it wants for itself in the old days when I was somebody and what it doesn't want for itself in the old days when I was somebody. Oh, I like the part where I'm calm and I don't like the part where I'm anxious. And let's not pretend we don't divide ourselves in that way, even though the instructions of meditation never included that polarity. If we have to get over that polarity to see from an undivided, a non-divided space. If we lean through feelings towards one or away from the other in the slightest degree with language, because it's always carried in language, or in emotional language, or in narrative, or in worldview, which is, as I've said before, the most insidious expression of form to eliminate is the worldview that comes instantaneous with the sight of each and every object. Most from the sense of object I. I'll talk about that in another talk. Just seeing. It's just seeing. Not pitting, wanting, expressing preference for, identifying with. It's just seeing. Now something miraculous is seen when it's an undivided mind. One of the displays of seeing from the undivided mind is perfection. 
Everything is in its exact location. Mountains are mountains. Rivers are rivers. And even if you had the power in yourself, which is, I won't even go there because you can't, you would disturb the perfection. If you ever wanted the mountain to be somewhere else, it wouldn't be perfect. And you wouldn't be in that holistic seeing. And you that's a, that imparts a different way towards action from, from you. You start acting from the perfection that is. And that does not mean that you don't take appropriate action when a child is in the middle of a road with a car coming at it. That's perfect that the car ran over the child. It's not perfect. Nor is it perfect that you hurt somebody through a non-caring attitude. There again, the polar opposites seem to indicate one and um, denies the other. They do not deny one and another. They live simultaneously true. But it does help when you have political messaging that's so bitter and in disarray and divided doesn't mean you don't vote for the person of your choice, but you don't hold the conflict, identified aspect of that conflict within yourself. You see, one person is more aligned with the truth of, what, of reality, really, usually along a sense of caring for others, not excluding others from that caring, and you vote an appropriate response to that, because that's how you see but it doesn't lead to political infighting or war. And this is so... We will have a guided meditation uh, in the guided meditation time. We'll, we'll try to... We'll, we will create the space for that third foundation to arise. Fourth foundation. So the fourth foundation is the hardest to express in language. So I was going to read what I said, which is pretty nuanced writing from my book, but Narayan told me not to. (laughs) So she made it much harder for me. So I will try to get us there from the fourth foundation through my words, which may or may not work. So we've got, look where we've been here. Look, look at where we've been. We've been something becoming nothing, first foundation, nothing becoming second, second foundation. How to hold the meditative space in which both of those can be observed. Because if you start pitting side against society, the, there's a rupture in the perfection and what is seen in a holistic, quiet sense in which, there's not, in which there is non-participation of I, it gets polarized and becomes a divided mind. And you can sense that in yourself. You feel it in yourself. You get very 
you tune, you tune into how the mind is pitted against itself and what the uniformed, non-divided mind feels like. And in the immediate action, you can see that you could operate from either one of those. And if you start operating towards the divided mind and you're in the unified mind, you get a slap on the wrist. I mean, it's like, it hurts your heart. It's like this is, even if it's a small thing, like if you're listening to somebody and then your mind goes off and you say, well, you know, I can fool this person and just continue to think and stare at her or him. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) There's a little spark in there that throws you back online. It doesn't, you know... It doesn't hurt. It just you just know it. You just intuitively sense it. So uh, it, it it you start following that. It's an intuitive sense. It's an intuitive. You just don't. Anyway, so you. It becomes easier to stay the course. You might say. And so, the third foundation is really. Uh, the still, quiet space within. And actions come out of that that are beautifully attuned to the precepts. The precepts aren't something you impose on yourself as moral statements. They are the view. They hold, See, all this is dualistic and none of this is the right words. But the view and you are all the same and you just are perceptual. It's not even it's just that's it that's what life is that's what life does that's on its own it's perceptual it cares for itself it moves in alignment for towards its own betterment okay so you don't have to worry about bringing more the moral morality in with you it's there okay so fourth foundation woo now the fourth foundation from my point of view has been misinterpreted it's interpreted as when you're having a meditation, you know, you begin to, the things that come in and take you away, you bring the Buddha's teaching. Well, that was the f- four foundations, uh, or that was the, uh, the hindrances I just experienced. Okay, so I got to, you know, so then you start, okay, that was the hindrances, and, and that was a, attachment, and whatever form or expression of the teachings. It invites, according to the traditional definition, it invites that response to you when that those things are occurring. Now, okay, why would the Buddha want to make you more noisy? Because that's what it does. You try it and see if you can remain quiet. Why would the Buddha have that as his definition of a foundation, the noise you make in regards to his teaching? made no sense to me whatsoever. So I had to find my way into this new foundation from realization. Okay, so now I'm no longer the formed entity that's standing over myself, watching myself become formless or not formless or all those other things. There's always a slight sense of self back there on the wall watching the development of my path along the Heart Sutra. 
But there's a void in the Heart Sutra. And the void in the Heart Sutra is where the fourth foundation takes you. And out of the void of the fourth foundation, you continue to get pulled into yourself. It switches it, you see. It switches top, now becomes bottom. Before me and all the things that I was learning about myself and the nature of myself and the formlessness nature of who I am and the form nature of who I am, all of a sudden, choo! Now you're just quiet. And, and the old formations come back. You don't bring them back. They just arise because they've been conditioned in. And you need some way of, you have the Dharma at your back now, <clears throat> not in front of you looking at what the Buddha said. And look, it's not that, it's at the back. There's enough Dharma in you, <clears throat> if you're in that fourth foundation, that you don't need to read or recite. You know one thing all the Buddha's teaching distills to that one thing. That's the one word, the gate gate of the Heart Sutra, or the sense of surrender, or the sense of non-clinging, whatever it is, the simplest word, release, and back. Reformed, release, back. And because the nature of conditioning is to keep reasserting itself, you see, it's not like you do it once and it never, for me or for most people, it doesn't happen that way. And at some point you don't even need the word surrender or relax. It just, anything being said is too much. So, there's immediate release of words as too much. Now, there are old, dare I say the word, sanskaras that arise within us that keep us involved in the world in a very particular, individual way because they've never been fully explored within us. The deep, entrenched beliefs we have about ourselves, I mentioned that before, the assumptions but there can also be pain issues and trauma issues. and They just keep bringing us back. Until we deal with them, you're not going to stay in the fourth foundation. You can pretend that you're in the fourth foundation, but do the work in whatever foundation the pain is expressing itself. <clears throat> if it happened as personness, then deal with it as personness. Hmm? You can't deal with it as some remote... Uh, like You deal with it with the issue because that's what's coming up is what the memory of being a person in this situation. Now, how you hold that memory as it arises, you don't hold it as a person. You hold it as a release, as a surrender. But you don't deny that aspect of yourself because you philosophically or dharmically have seen beyond that definition... You, you you crunch over when it hits you, go ah like that, and it and it hurts. 
And there's no denying of that pain. And as long as it takes for it to be completely uprooted, which for some of us is the rest of our life. It's a, well, it's a life well spent. So it's not, again, <clears throat> this is, you can see why this foundation is hard to talk about and much easily, more easily read. Gate, gate. Now there is a complete uniformity. With the Heart Sutra laying the view direction. Go, this direction. Okay. I was going, I don't know where I was going. When I first started a spiritual path, I did everything not knowing any direction because it just felt like I needed to do something. And all I did was get more confused. Staring at a candle flame standing on my head. I mean, I did it everything. I did it all. Putting myself in a closet for a weekend. <laughs> I was crazy. <laughs> it, it, it came out just as dumb and more confused than I ever was. <laughs> but when you have a direction, when you have a direction, ah, oh, yeah. And the Satipatthana Sutra provides a methodology to walk those steps. You have the complete packaging and complete story. If you want to go outside the tradition, that's fine, but you need not. Maybe we all know our direction and our steps towards that. Thank you. Could be we be, be quiet for just a minute? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.